You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, if I ever came to you and asked, do you want me? And then you said no, I'd be probably as upset as Adam Trelawry's right now. Yes, well, I'm glad it took you one day and we're back on with the with the one-liners. I assume you think I've recovered from the grand final. I'm yep. here to tell you I haven't, but <laughs> I, I think the... I think the Adam Trelaw saga, I'm calling it a saga now, I think this is the weirdest thing we're going to see this offseason. I can't believe the way that this is starting to pan out. Yeah, we talked about it a few weeks ago when he went on and categorically denied it, and then multiple journos were like, no, like he's probably not going to be at Collingwood next year. Something's not making sense here at all. And then I think people have gone back and passed through some of the language that Trelaw used and saying, you know, I'm a contractor player and I want to be here, but he never yeah, let, let slip that they told him, we don't want you here, which apparently they had before that interview. So, um, you know, that where there's smoke, there's fire type adage appears to be adding up here with Trelaw, with multiple people, you know, not necessarily staking their reputations, but going really hard on it. It's like, well, look, look, he's just not going to be there. They don't want him to be there. And it just didn't add up to what he said, but that's uh, how it's getting. And now Collingwood, I don't know why they are, they are obviously... They're so desperate to unload him that they're willing to pay part of his salary, which is another weird thing in the way AFL trades and contracts work. But it's just because they have not managed their salary cap well at all. Yeah, uh, that's 100% what it looks like is the problem, certainly from the outside. But yeah, that interview, and I always go back to that 360 interview because when we spoke after that, I said, well, this clearly, this rumor that potentially he could go to Queensland and we know... Uh, his wife obviously playing netball up there, but I, I thought watching that interview, it was as categoric as it could be that he would stay at Collingwood because I just didn't imagine that he would be a player that Collingwood would be trying to offload. If you look at his numbers across the year, yes, he had some injury concerns this year. We know about that, but 5.2 clearances per game led Collingwood, 26.9 disposals per game led Collingwood. And when you look at the the age demographic of the list, sure, they've got some young guys coming through. But Scott Prendenbury's about to turn 33, still side-bottom, a guy who I think most of us have said, we'd like to see him start to move up forward now. He's about to turn 30. It, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense that they would be wanting to actually move on from a guy like Trelaw. Uh, perhaps they'd be looking elsewhere and, and not spending the money on some of the other players, perhaps uh, Jordan Dugowie, who seems to uh, think that he's still worth a million dollars a year, or he certainly his dad does. So Trelaw, it's a strange one for me, for a guy that wants to be there, and this, there's a couple of interesting parts to this. First of all, we know that the players for, won't like this. They will not like this if, if Chalor is tra- traded because we know that they uh, want to have as much power as they can. The Players Association will probably not look at this uh, gro- uh, you know, in a great light, even though technically from a business point of view, Collingwood can do whatever they want. There's, there's not a lot wrong with what they're doing. But forcing a guy that's contracted to trade, you don't see that a lot in the AFL. And secondly... I just don't think it's a good look for Collingwood. I, I don't think this is going to help them moving forward, getting players to come to the club, giving them contract because the players will just say, well, th- what does the contract mean to you guys? We saw what you did to Trelaw, who uh, I believe from what you hear is pretty well liked around the league. Yeah, he, he's got a pretty good reputation around the league from everything I understand uh, as well. The interesting yeah, p- part of what you said there is 
you know, the way that that AFL trade systems work is that this is this sort of thing is relatively commonplace in other leagues, in you know, American sports leagues. A player, their salary is too high; they need to to move on from them, and they do it. And teams with salary cap space, say an Essendon or an Adelaide, would take them in, and then they would receive incentive to do that. You're getting a good player, but to take that salary, give us a couple of draft picks. But that's unable to happen in the AFL because player permission is required. So those teams who do have that space, if he doesn't want to go to Essendon or doesn't want to go to Adelaide. Uh, they can't go around that, so that's, I guess, part of why that paying part of the salary is there. I, it is it is a weird thing. It is also pretty reminiscent of the way that you know things can happen in terms of labor laws around the country. If, like, it's hard to fire people in general. You have to give them warnings and mediation, all this sort of stuff. But what managers do all the time is they just try to make life miserable so the person wants to live of their own accord. Like, oh, we can't fire you, but we're just going to hang shit on you, continually give you the shit jobs, cut your shift, so then you leave. And, like, hey, we didn't fire you. You resigned. And that's sort of the idea. I feel like what's happening here is that Colin was like, well, we can't force you to be traded. We can't just trade you without your permission. We're going to make it super uncomfortable for you, and you're going to want to not be here in the end, and you're going to want to find somewhere else to go, just just disappear because uh, that's all that we can do at this point. Other thing I thought was interesting, and this is from your um your namesake, uh, he who shall not be fully mentioned, <laughs> and this it, it doesn't seem to make sense to me. He says that uh, Adam Trelaw fits Melbourne. They've got all of these inside mids, so he would be the type of midfielder they need. Like, is Adam Trelaw not an inside mid? Like, is he what? <laughs> he's not that silky outside, yeah, elite ball deliverer. Like. Are we watching a different Adam Trelaw here? No, that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Honestly, and this is where it, it first came up and we were talking about you know, the possibility of going to Queensland. I do think Gold Coast makes a lot of sense for, for Trelaw. Uh, maybe he wants to live in Melbourne, which I think was the whole point of him wanting to come to Collingwood in the first place. But if you put him alongside uh, Matt Rowe, we know this year uh, Hugh Greenwood played a huge role for the Gold Coast. But I think adding someone of the caliber of Trelaw who... Yeah, he's a level up from Hugh Greenwood. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I think would bolster that midfield, particularly with Rao coming in, provide him a little bit of support because uh, one of the things that we were concerned about at the start of the season was the load that Matt Rao had to carry for that team as a, as a teenager, as a guy coming in in his first season. And we know he got hurt and it didn't last too long. But I think adding the experience of Chalor in that Gold Coast midfield would help them take another step. Yeah, it's just getting an extra player who can get the footy alongside those, and then those outside players they've got. Yeah, the Took Miller can be that guy, Anderson or Lacocious, those guys on on the the stream on the outside. Uh, yeah, Brandon Ellis as well. Those sort of players. There's quite a yep. bit, um, quite a bit of uh, of interest there. With uh, with that move, let's see. It, it sort of makes sense. Collingwood apparently would want pick five back, but if you're so desperate to unload him, then you're not <laughs> getting pick five. Late. Yeah, you're just not you're not getting him. Like you you get salary cut relief. That's what you get out of that deal, and you get something low, and that's sort of how it works. And a lot of people won't understand that when he gets traded for what appears like not a good return, but they need that sort of cut relief because that's poor forward planning from them. And that's we talked about that with the Grundy contract a while ago. That is going to come to bite them in the ass, and it already is. Biting them in the ass. Let's flip it over to my club at the moment. Uh, well, not my club at the moment because they're always my club. Uh, Josh Dunkley. The situation continues to brew. He's got two years left on his contract. The Bulldogs have said they won't trade him. Essendon is throwing big money deals at Dunkley. They've also thrown in a an offer that they'll sign his brother, Kyle, to, to the <laughs> team. Not that he will play any games. He, Kyle Dunkley played a few games for Melbourne uh, last season, 2019. And wasn't really up to that standard at this point. But Essendon saying, hey, we'll, we'll give your brother a contract is you know, in a weird sort of you know, not quite salary cap circumvention. But like we'll pump some extra money into your family and give your brother a job if you want to come across. 
But of course, it does still require Essendon to give up something and the Bulldogs to agree to a to a deal there. Um, could this just be a case of the Bulldogs say, well, here, we'll give you a new contract. Here's an extension. Here's more money on that. I don't really know what to believe with this because it feels like every report that's coming out is coming out from an Essendon perspective, apart from the Bulldogs saying we're not trading him. And everyone's at the Bull- every Essendon person's like, oh, I've heard he wants to come. Yeah, he definitely wants to come. But it's all Essendon people. So I'm not sure how much to judge from that. Yeah, there's a bit of Giannis and uh, Thanasis in this signing of his brother. <laughs> never never going to play, but uh, that's helped the family out. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, move if that's the one that's going to go down. I don't think I can't really recall the situation that we've seen that in the AFL where they've gone down that path. But I, I think the interesting thing here, and John Ralph, and look, we spoke about this, but John Ralph reported this morning, I believe, he said part of the issue for Dunkley is that he wants to play in the midfield more. Only had 30% midfield time in that final against St. Kilda. And also really didn't like the fact that the Bulldogs kept playing him in the ruck. (laughs) And I I had to laugh when I read that because we spoke about this a lot. And I would imagine, I mean, if I'm Dunkley, I'm like, I don't want to play in the ruck. This is ridiculous. Look at at my size. I'm a midfielder. I shouldn't be playing in the ruck. He was forced to play in that role uh, for significant parts of the season, backing up Tim English there. So... That, to me, seems like a situation that can be pretty easily resolved. If that's what he's frustrated about, you should be able to fix that pretty easily. Yeah, look, that's as as simple as it gets. It's like, we'll get another Ruckman and you don't play in the Ruck, and here's an extra contract extension with an extra 150 grand on it. Like, okay, we're good. I think that that can easily be, unless... But you you would imagine that some of this stuff, especially given Luke Beveridge's reputation as a person who has great relationships with the players, and from what I've heard, like he's always had a great relationship with Josh Dunkley, that he would have said are you okay playing in the ruck? And he was, that's probably not my ideal spot, but yeah, look, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Rather than like, I, I hate doing it. I'm not doing it. And Bevo's just gone. No, you got to do it. I, I can't imagine that was in play, but, but, uh, but who knows at, at this point, it is really an interesting scenario. They'd have to give up quite a bit. I imagine to get him back again with two years on his deal. There's no you know threat of him just leaving or, or sitting out or anything along those lines. But, um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this all pans out. Another move from the Bulldogs, Lockie Young, is heading to North Melbourne. Um, it's bandied about everywhere, Kane. The little-known rule. Did you know this rule? Uh, no, absolutely. I did not. Um, I don't think I did as well, but what it is is if a player has been rookie listed twice and then is offered a third rookie contract, they can reject that contract and immediately become uh, an unrestricted free agent, which is what Lockie Young has done. So he's rejected that third rookie contract. North Melbourne has offered him a deal with obviously more playing time there along that half back line with Aiden Core coming in um, and he's accepted it. So you can't, like we talked about with Brody Mychek, if you're going to get rookied again and someone offers you a full-time contract, you've got to take it. Young struggled to get a game this year. He's, um, his younger brother is Hayden Young from the Dockers. Um, he's not quite that level of player, but he's pretty quick, decent kick, but he, he spots for the at the Bulldogs with guys like Crozier, uh, Johannesson, um, Bailey Williams taking those roles. There probably wasn't a huge opportunity there for him. No, makes sense for him. It's, uh, again, you mentioned the Majacek example. That's where I was going to go with that. If clubs uh, continue to rookie players and they get an opportunity elsewhere, uh, makes sense for them uh, to go and take that. Uh, whatever the contract is, the security moving forward. As far as curious names that have been thrown out there, Jesse Hogan obviously we spoke about a little bit on the pod, uh, but <laughs> Fremantle willing to give him away. So this is... This is a, a fair warning sign for any team that is going to pick up Jesse Hogan that something is not quite right here because it was only two seasons ago uh, that they gave up pick six and pick 23 for Jesse Hogan. Now they're actually willing to pay some of his salary to get rid of him and basically give him away 
to a team that wants him. Apparently, Melbourne met with him again and said, no, nah, we're not going to go down this path. So uh, it's not looking good for Jesse Hogan. And in Fremantle, you know, paid a lot of money to get him and assets. Uh, this has really been a disastrous uh, transaction for those guys. The other the whisper with Hogan is that um, Richmond is looking to get him. And yeah. considering how cheap you can get him, like as a third forward who doesn't have to play a key position or more of a lead-up guy with Rewalt sort of stepping back a bit and Lynch there to take that key forward role, like it, it is a perfect fit. And if you are Hogan and Richmond comes uh, asking, I reckon you'd be pretty interested in that sort of a move because I think that would enable him to play that role that, that suits him best rather than you know, if he went to, say, a Collingwood where they push him into a larger um, a larger key forward role, which probably doesn't work uh, to his strength. So that sort of move would work out pretty nicely, I think, for Jesse Hogan if that is the direction that uh, that he decided and that Fremantle decided to go. But it is a bit curious that they're just like, just get this guy out of here. Like We, we have no interest in, uh, in keeping him and we don't even want any value back in return. <laughs> Um, we talked a little bit there about Richmond uh, in terms of getting Hogan, but they are, of course, the premiers. What's next for them? Like, what, what, what do we? How do they improve? Are they, they have to head into next season as premiership favourites again. Um, Jaden Short, uh, fresh off his second place in the Norm Smith Medal, wins the Best and Fairest. Pretty good effort for uh, to be a Best and Fairest winner in a premiership year, coming off the rookie list. What, what, what do they do next? Like, how is their off season looming? Are they just going to get stronger? It feels that way. Yeah, it doesn't look like they're going to make any major additions to the team, which we know Richmond has been a little bit active in the past. Certainly, Tom Lynch a couple of years ago was the big one for them. But I think they'll back their depth. Remember, this year they spent half the season with uh, you know, up to 10 players out of their best lineup. They were able to get healthy at the right time of the year and go ahead and, and win the flag. I, I think certainly at least another year of contention looks looks a lock for Richmond next year. Basha Hooley... Uh, he will turn 33 during the season next year. Uh, Shane Edwards just turned 32 the day after the grand final, actually. And then Jack Rewalt is about to turn 32 in a couple of days. So uh, those players are obviously still being vital to the success of Richmond, and they are getting older. So I think what we've seen from other teams, if you think about Hawthorne and even those Collingwood teams and St Kilda teams that are pretty successful, unless you do regenerate... Um, from below and are able to to keep bolstering the team with the with the real the best players your absolute best players that's who Hooley Edwards Rewald Cochin uh, also uh, above 30 and, and Dusty looks like he's got plenty left in the tank I'm not worried about the fact that he's going to turn 30 next season but you know those guys are still vital to the success Edwards one of the best players in the grand final so we'll see what they do over the next year or, or two there's no doubt about that but I can't see any way that this team isn't competing for a flag next year. Yeah, look, what's what's happened? Who's aging out of this team? Who's who's you know, not going to be better again? We had Edwards and Hooley miss big chunks of the season. Preston missed all of the year, pretty much. These guys can have full seasons uh, as well, and perhaps they were a little bit underdone heading into the finals. Plus, all these guys like Bolter, uh, Short, like these are. I think there was eleven out of their top eleven best and fairest guys. Seven of them were under twenty six. That's a number I've made up, but it's it's close to that. So it's not just they're getting carried by. Cochin and Rewalt, because that's not the case. Like Cochin has taken a big step back. Rewalt's taken an even bigger step back. These guys are not um, carrying this team. It is the younger guys coming through. You, you, even your mate Derek Smith can come into the team and, and have a have an impact at times, as we saw this year. So their depth is staggering. They're, they're going to lose players like they did with Butler and Alice last season, but they just seem to be able to bring these guys in and develop them and get that uh, that value going. And it's, it's really hard to see how... Um, 
how they are not the favorite and how anyone is going to be able to really de- defeat them. Yeah, they can, they'll lose games, but in terms of when it comes down to the, the meaningful uh, area of the season, they just it, it's hard to see anyone being better. No, I 100% agree. And it is a little bit shocking sometimes when you look at the age of some of these players that have become uh, real mainstays of this Richmond team. Bolter, obviously this year, fantastic. He finished top 10 in the BNF. He's only 21 years old. Jack Graham, maybe one of the players that they'll lose, but he's only 22 years old. Oleg Markov, another player they may lose, but he's 24. But Castagna's still only 24. Uh, Jaden Short, as we said, just won the best and fairest. He's 24. And then Curvis is only 26. He feels like he's been around That's for a crazy. long time. And Vlaston's only 26, which is unbelievable. So, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're set up. They're set up next year to go again. And, uh, you know, we don't often see teams win three in a row. Obviously, pretty pretty rare. But to win four in five years would be a pretty remarkable uh, achievement for this team. But I think, as you said, they've got to go in favorites next year. And the best thing for Richmond is I don't think that they need to make really any changes. I think they can just show up next year with the list that they have. And as long as they're motivated, they should be there uh, by the business end again. I mean, you're looking at their list. I'll tell you what's crazy when you look at it, right? These are the players they had as rookie list players this year. Jake Arts, we saw him play plenty of games. Liam Baker, we know what he did. Mabior Chol, we've mentioned his name so much on this podcast. Derek Smith, Derek Egmolesi-Smith, to be correct. Marlon Pickett and Sydney Stack. They're rookie-listed players for this team. Like, that's that's pretty crazy to me. Yeah, pretty handy. Pretty handy, no doubt about that. Yeah, they got depth. they got great depth. And they, they've got the, the system. They all play the same way. So, uh, it's... It's you know it's it's hard to really see a way that they're gonna they're not gonna be there honestly I know I keep saying it here but uh, I just look at that depth I look at the the as you just pointed to the guys they've got on the rookie list the guys that are under twenty five or twenty six and under uh, they're all gonna be there next year and the, the top age the top age guys or the older guys I think still at least have one year left in them it's hard for me to believe that Basha Hooley doesn't have another. Uh, effective year in him as the same with Shane Edwards. And they've got a bunch of guys that haven't even played a game, not necessarily they're going to be any good, but there's a whole bunch of guys they haven't even brought through yet. Um, interesting name that I'm looking on their list, Hugo Ralph-Smith, uh, son of former AFL player Sean Ralph-Smith, just to go with the, your Derek uh, Eglamessi-Smith, just lots of uh, lots of good, strong Smith names on this team that aren't your, aren't your basic ones, but a whole bunch of players, Fraser Turner, Hugo Ralph-Smith, Bigwa Nuon, uh, Ben Miller, Will Martin, Luke English, Noah Cumberland, uh, Riley Collier-Dawkins, who was a men- uh, emergency a couple of times. Very rare to see like seven, eight guys that haven't played a game, plus the team that's got so much depth. So they've got a lot of guys that they can actually just start to bring in and, and develop over time with this squad. It is really formidable to look at this team. They probably will too. I mean, we saw it this year, certainly with a guy like Jake Arts, for instance, who was uh, probably unlucky to be dropped for the finals. So... Yep, plenty of depth, plenty of depth for the Tigers. And as we saw this year, uh, even injuries and other circumstances, it's it's going to be hard to slow them down because unlike other teams and the team I compared them to yesterday, Brisbane, they, they know when to peak at the right time. The last two seasons, they've looked shaky at times through the first 10 rounds and it hasn't really mattered. Yeah, it hasn't. And one thing that I just, I don't, I don't know if you mentioned it, maybe you did, but Shea Bolton finished fourth in their best and fairest, right? He hasn't played 50 games yet. He's not even 22. Yep. That is that's that's wild. Like you don't you don't think about that of just how how young these guys are. Um, yeah, Bolton's twenty one. He's was eighth in the best and fairest. Like Bolton's a guy that can step in and you know when, when Cochin can go forward and play exclusively as a forward at some point in the next couple of years, and Bolton just becomes a full time midfielder. He's twenty one years of age, fourth in the best and fairest in a premiership year, hasn't cracked fifty games. Like that's ridiculous depth. 
Yes, it's very sad. It's very <laughs> sad for the for the rest of the AFL. That's that's. I'll, I'll say that it's. Um, I, I think again, it's your teams are defined by what they do in the finals. But I, I think we saw this year, and we've seen it the last couple of years as well. But a bunch of big game players as well. None bigger than Dusty, obviously. We spoke about him a lot yesterday. But right, right down the list, these guys. The bigger the game, they seem to thrive. And I think if there's a chance that we can get crowds in Melbourne next year at the MCG, I think they'll be boosted even more. I think they love it. They love playing in the MCG. They love playing in front of the Richmond fans. So, yeah, scary. I, that's, I don't know what else to say. It's scary for sure. Yeah, it is. If you're another team trying to catch them, it is it is tough to do. And there, it looks like their window is open for quite a while here. But the other team we're going to talk about is your boys. It is Geelong. Um, got to the grand final, of course. Lost it. Um, and a pretty big off-season coming up because they are not quite in that same age window that Richmond is. Ablett's retiring, Hawkins is older, Selwood's older, Dangerfield's pushing up there as well. They are, of course, uh, bringing in Jeremy Cameron, but quite a few guys out of contract on, on this team with decisions to be made with what they're going to do with uh, with the free agency or non-free agents as well. They uh, are thinking of bringing in Sean Higgins as well. I'm sure there's about five other names I've, I've forgotten about, but you know, interest with guys like Jordan Clark and, and Quinton Nagel, uh, not Nagel, Narkel. Sorry, where, where those guys are heading. So a really interesting offseason. We talk about Richmond, probably not a huge amount happening with them. There's going to be some big, uh, big things going on with Geelong, it appears. Yeah, the Cats will make some moves. I think the big one that probably... <laughs> probably puts them in a better position than what they were this year is just straight up Jeremy Cameron. I yeah. mean, uh, I think for me, uh, Josh, the, the biggest thing I looked at with this team, particularly leading into the finals, the concern was the reliance that the Cats had on Gary Rowan as basically the second forward. And really, the reality is we've seen enough now of Gary Rowan. I, I think he's always been a, a tantalizing player because he wasn't able to get healthy and he's got just that ridiculous speed. But there's no doubt the best role for Gary Rowan in an AFL team is just that pressure, and that's that's what he needs to bring, and nothing else. And if you get goals out of him, it's a bonus. But I don't think there's any surprise that the three times this year that Gary Rowan kicked three or more goals came in the prelim when the Cats won by 40 points, came against St Kilda when they won by 10 goals, and Port Adelaide when they won by 10 goals. Gary Rowan, when things are going well, uh, he'll tack on a few goals and play some good footy. When things are tough and the Cats aren't exactly dominating the footy, uh, he goes missing. This He's done it his whole career. We spoke about it before the final, so... I do think he's in the best 22, but not as the second forward. I think Geelong knew that. I think it forced them to make the mistake of playing Dangerfield up forward. So I think bringing in Jeremy Cameron just balances things out a little bit more. Obviously, the last two Coleman medal winners. The forward line looks a little bit more potent. You can probably play Dangerfield in the middle more. Gary Rowan is just there for his forward pressure, and I think everything balances out a little bit better. Yeah, of course. Yeah, adding Jeremy Cameron is hardly going to be a negative. It's not like it is pushing out its other key forward. Yeah, him and Hawkins, I think, complement each other really well. It's all going to be about yeah, what that compensation is and yeah, how they deal with these other players who are out of contract. Now, Tom Hawkins is out of contract. Uh, Brandon Parfitt apparently has just uh, signed a new deal. Hawkins has looked like he's going to sign a new deal. Zach Tui, similarly. But we don't know what's happening with Harry Taylor. We don't know what's happening with Lockie Henderson, Quentin Narkel, another name that, that was mentioned there. There's a few guys who have been playing some pretty key roles that uh, Reece Stanley allegedly is out of contract here as well. Um, yeah, How are these guys going to get squeezed in terms of money? Zach Guthrie, another name there, who is out of contract at the end of this season. Nakaya Cockatoo, we've heard that he is probably on the move somewhere up north is what we've heard. So there's quite a few names here that could change around. Plus, they have to give up compensa compensation to get in guys like Higgins and Cameron and whatever else they do. So there could be some decent enough changes on the at least periphery of their best 22. 
Yeah, I think the back line will be a little bit curious. Harry Taylor, I know everyone laughs about the way he moves and he, he looks old. He looks very old when he's out in the field. But I think, I'm not sure what he, he gave up in the grand final, but I think before that he'd only given up one goal directly since about round nine. So he had an incredible season. I probably think that Harry's probably going to call it quits, though. Lockie Henderson was actually a rookie this year, so... Uh, I think they'll bring him back for one more year. He was very surprising to me. I thought he was done, but he had a fantastic year. So I think that probably forces the Cats to move Mark Blitzavs back into a key defender role, which is actually arguably his best position. As far as Higgins, I don't think the Cats won't have to do much to, to get Higgins. I think the idea would be that he would replace the Gary Ablett role. Yes, he's older, but just that class around the half-forward line, deliver the ball to the forwards, I think Higgins will, will play there. I, th- I think I've said this before, but the one thing that the Cats seem to have the benefit of, even Hawkins coming off a career best year, when he was uncontracted, I don't think there was any concerns that he was going anywhere because he wants to be, he wants to be at Geelong. So I don't think they'll have to pay too much to to keep Tom Tom Hawkins. The question will be for the future and the Cats. There's no doubt they do this every year. They are focused purely on winning the flag next year, which is why uh, obviously they're going hard for Cameron, but they will add uh, Higgins as that Gary Ablett replacement. Because they want to win the flag in 2021, there is urgency there, obviously, with Hawkins and Salwood, who, to be honest, had to be managed through the season, and I think he'll have to be managed through the season again next year. The younger guys will be interesting. I think Narkel's probably gone. Cockatoo, unfortunately, a guy that they love, but just, I mean, he hasn't played an AFL game since 2018. I think they'll give him a chance to go uh, elsewhere, probably Brisbane. Jordan Clark, it looks like he's going to stay. I think that's important. He'll add some pace that they probably need. So, I think they will have to give some stuff up, obviously, for Cameron. Having three first-round draft picks as a result of the uh, the Tim Kelly uh, trade is is certainly helpful in that situation. They can probably give up one of those and still get a couple of youngsters in there as well. I think the remarkable thing when I look at the Cats lineup this year, when we talked about, well, what can they do? I think we thought that there was going to be such a heavy reliance on Jack Stephen to be this this semi, uh, you know, St Kilda level player that would come in, and we thought, geez, this is this is going to have to be the Tim Kelly replacement. But the boost they got from Cam Guthrie and Sam Menegola and these guys that played career best footy, I think, has maybe boosted their prospects over the next couple of seasons of of hanging around the top four. But uh, Jack Stephen, I say that's a question mark there. I don't think he showed that he had a lot left in the tank this year. No, you reckon he's in real trouble of getting a regular game next season. Menegola is going to be 29 by the time next season starts, so he's not particularly young. Uh, Guthrie's just turned 28. Duncan's 29. So, yeah, Dangerfield's 30. They're not super old, but they're not, Yeah, we're not talking Shea Bolton, 21 years of age. Not, yeah, 24, 25-year-old guys. They're guys who are established. I guess the step you're looking for is someone like a Brandon Parfitt to step up into that role. He's 22, so he can maybe push into that role as you know, as Selwood eases out of a, a consistent midfield role. He's 32 already, so how many years has he got left at that level? You're hoping that, that Parfitt pushes into that role. Um, but in terms of your younger players coming through, you'd know better than me. Like who Who's the, the young guy that we're, we're hoping can step up into a, a more consistent you know, best 22 sort of role? Yeah, from the outside, it's hard. It's hard to know because a lot of them haven't got a chance. I know Cooper Stevens last year was really high, highly regarded. Uh, he was a, a first-round draft pick, played with the Geelong Falcons, had some pretty serious injuries as a under-18 player. They really, really like him. He's a tough inside midfielder, picks up contested footy. Unfortunately, there just hasn't been a lot of opportunities. And perhaps this year, with the fact that there was no real VFL competition, some of these young guys found it hard to sneak in. Another guy that maybe won't be at the Cats next year, Charlie Constable. We've seen him a little bit at the AFL level, and he's definitely a ball winner. He's only 20 years old, but 
he might uh, get squeezed out. But, uh, yeah, I'd be looking for Cooper Stevens to be a guy that comes in. They really do like him a lot. And then as far as the young guys that are in the team that ha- have played pretty well, uh, Parfit, obviously, 21, uh, a down grand final, no doubt about that. But I thought he had a fantastic season overall. Sam Simpson came in, he's 21. Uh, Radically, is still only 21. We don't know really where he's going to fit. It might be interesting, depending on what happens with the ruck, if Radiglia becomes that ruckman. They've spoke about the fact that they think he is a ruckman moving forward. That would be interesting. Jack Henry, fantastic season, only 21. And Graham Myers, uh, 21 as well. So uh, they have got enough young guys. I think the biggest gap for the Cats is when you get from a guy like Mark O'Connor, who's become a really reliable player at 23, and then you kind of jump to... Uh, Tom Stewart at 27. So they don't have anyone really in that 20, 24 to 26 age bracket. They are either pushing older or, or they're quite young. But um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think if you have cats, they, they would love to keep a lot of those younger guys. But the one thing that Geelong won't mind is going to the draft because they haven't had top draft picks for a long, long time. And they still seem to be able to pick out these guys. Uh, Stephen Wells, is, obviously, everyone knows, probably the best in the business. Kane, do you think they'll be looking to bring a, uh, a goal-kicking coach down to teach Grian Myers to uh, take set shots uh, a goal from, from straight ahead instead of snap kicks? Yeah, I was a bit frustrated. I actually uh, put myself through the... Uh, uh, I don't know what the right... I put myself through the emotion of watching the footy shows last night, which was pretty difficult. Yeah, I don't know why you would have done that. Yeah, it was pretty tough, but I do like watching on the couch, and, and I am fascinated to, to you know think what I'm thinking about what happened in the game and compare it to what other people... Uh, suggest what other people saw and look at the vision and that sort of stuff. I'm always interested in that. But yeah, it was David King and Mark McClure going on about Graham Myers and the goal he missed and he needs to change his style and he needs to do this. And it's like, mate, just look up the stats. Look up the numbers, okay? This is like, this is your job to do this. He was 75% kicking for goal within 50 meters on the season, kicking the way that he kicks. We know it's funny. We know it's a strange style, but it works for him. And he's a very accurate goal kicker. He missed one that... Yeah, it was really unfortunate. It was bad timing. He wasn't the only one that missed the goal for the Cats in the first half. But he doesn't need to change his style. Let's let's not go overboard. The old guys, they just can't get over uh, players snapping around the corner or having different styles. If they don't kick like they did back in the eighties, uh, they believe it must be wrong. It's just it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is pretty frustrating that they act like I oh, know you got to kick set shots, and every time that one's missed, they point to it. But when they kick the goal, they don't have a comment on it. Um, yeah, players, this is what they do. This is how they learn to kick. This is how they work better, and it's not for everybody, but it is for somebody, and it doesn't have to be a complete, um, yeah, well, we just can't do this. We just can't kick this way because there are plenty of players who will do it. Like, I admit, sometimes it annoys me when I see players not use their left foot, but if they can't use their left foot, then better off just you know, chucking a banana on it and seeing if they can at least get the ball there rather than a, a dribble kick that goes 10 metres on the left. You know, I, I was always of the impression, you know, learn to kick on your opposite foot, and I was able to probably get, you know, when I was playing, you know, 90% accuracy and distance on my left with my right but a lot of players don't do that and they can get away with it and if you can get away with it by all means just get the best result for your team even though that does frustrate me I'm not out there throwing blanket statements that everyone needs to be able to do this yeah I mean it's just if it was if if the numbers said that it was a problem then I'd be okay with it but they don't I mean that was a that was a pretty high percentage shot uh, from Myers there in the second quarter and look at some of the greats Stevie Jake had a very strange uh, kicking style. Even Stephen Milne ha- sort of ran around on the right and sort of sliced it, or not not as exaggerated as Graham Myers, but kind of similar. And we know that he was uh, obviously one of the, the greatest small forwards we've seen in the game. So not everyone does it the same. It doesn't mean that it's not it's not effective, and it doesn't mean that if they make a mistake or they miss a goal, then you can suggest that they need to change the style. You do what works for you. That works for Myers. It's worked 
uh, across the the course of his footy career, certainly 18s level and in the AFL. And he kicked a pretty, you know, a relatively important goal later on in the third quarter as well. So he's not going to kick them all. It was unfortunate. I'm sure he is thinking about that moment more than anyone else uh, around Australia. There's no doubt about that. They also, you never hear him really talk about Buddy Franklin's yeah, kicking yeah, style exactly. and his hook and arc and all that sort of stuff. And it really gets mentioned, which yeah, that's not what normal, not normal textbook kicking is. But hey, that's where we are, Kane. We're, we're at the end of this show. We're going to leave you here. We're going to be back tomorrow with more chatter about player movement and whatever else is going on in the AFL. Thank you again for fronting up after a hard night watching footy shows. Yeah, three days away from free agency and then the trades get going next week. So I, I just have a feeling that we're not going to have a lack of uh, content over the next week or so. No, we're going to have lots of stuff to talk about. So stick around, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to the people who have done that. Had a, had a look at them yesterday and uh, really, really good stuff from everyone uh, dropping those reviews in there. Today, guys, I'm going to leave you with a shout out to Winston Abraham. <laughs> 